0: all right we are here we are ready to go and it's on time this time what an amazing time that is i am so glad to be here if this is your first time here or your hundredth time here welcome in i am of course mr murka the beard of truth jason lyon your neighborhood friendly libertarian i'm so glad to have this opportunity to talk to you guys of course on muddy waters of freedom Buddy Wars Media has been a gracious host of allowing me to come on here to talk about politics, social issues, one liberty at a time, and tonight's discussion is going to be centered around the criminal justice system. Can I has loops? Welcome. Welcome for the first from Twitch. We are tonight going to be talking about the purpose of the criminal justice system and some of the rational Um, points that we can change within the system in order to ensure that it's working in its desired goals Um, so I'm excited for that but of course I've got to say thank you to Matt and Spike for giving me this opportunity from Muddy Waters Media they have been so amazing working their asses off to help ignite the torches of liberty across this country and they've been doing a hell of a time at it and so I'm excited to be, be a part of the team to helping out and I'm excited for the future with this would have been first but I caught the YouTube notification and went to Facebook to watch oof oof could have been first but you're not I like it welcome from California Janice so tonight we've got a fantastic show lined up and of course this is not my normal night so I got it I I would be remiss without explaining this so Monday night on our way finishing up the last last minute notes because you know I prep as much as spike does sometimes. Um, maybe even, it's typically a little more than Cajun, but it's just about where spike is and, uh, finishing up my notes. And we found out that, um, we had a COVID case in the house, so I, I apologize for my absence. We're only five days late, but here we are nonetheless. And and thankfully, Cajun and Nolik were willing to let me come slide on to the Muddy Waters Media at 8 p.m. Eastern, Freedom Time, of course, to come talk to you guys for a little bit. Um, and their show will still be on tonight, 9.30 Freedom Time. So make sure you guys don't miss from bayous to igloos tonight um and i'll of course make sure to plug them again tonight um as we as we get ready to sign off of course i've got the bearded coffee with me oh i can't i i will never be able to prep as much as matt matt and nalik are like another tier of just ready to go um nalik's got color-coded stuff uh, Matt, Matt's got like pages of notes. I mean, he's got it. He's got it well set out. Um, so I've got, I've got more notes than I've had in any of the previous episodes. So I'm excited about that to be able to, to show that I can do a little bit, <sighs> but nonetheless, we're here. I'm excited for it. So I think to open this up, to to start this conversation off, we have to, of course, know what is the purpose of the criminal justice system? It's one of those easy questions that w- you know, everyone's like, oh, yeah, I know what the criminal justice system is. What's the purpose? Uh, poop. How do I how do I take this massive system that's so important to a society and narrow it down and to say what its purpose is? Well, of course, that's what you come to me for. So the purpose of the criminal justice system is to create a system that makes victims whole that protects our communities when people create victims we have a system in place that has due process to ensure that that uh criminals or people who are being aggressive against others and their properties um have a punishment to serve um and and so at the end the very the very smallest, most succinct definition of what the purpose is, is of course, is to make our communities as safe as possible. Um, so of course, right, as as we talk about libertarianism, as we talked with some anarchists, as we talk with minarchists, as we talk with conservatives or liberals, right, the whole purpose of the criminal justice system is to ensure that our communities are as safe as possible. We all want the same thing. Now, some people believe that that the state is the best arbiter of this. Some people believe that it's not. And that's not really what we're going to be discussing today, because what we're discussing today is a system that we have in place. And so, I, I of course, this is something that um, really drove me to becoming libertarian that i am today this is one of the big topics that i've been so passionate about because i believe that a criminal justice system is 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 incredibly important to our society but the criminal justice system needs to work for our society as well and and i think that we're going to cover some of the shortcomings tonight with that safe and free are opposite getting in there all right so now that we've got the purpose of the, what the criminal justice system is, I want to break it down for the criminal justice system itself, the actual practice, the actual what, how it actually functions. And and I'm going to break it off into five different categories. And, and this is a chronological, if you will. So you have the beginning um, where when we talk about the criminal justice system you have people that are amongst us right these are these are just people within your society so we have our culture we have our education system we have people working and and living amongst each other and and so this culture that we have is what drives our politics right everyone everyone kind of understands that that politics is downstream of culture and so our culture drives the politicians to make changes to our laws and to set things up and to structure things the way that they will Um, And so this is incredibly important to understand that these also directly tie into later parts of the criminal justice system, such as right now. There are studies out there that look at the third grade literacy rates of people to be able to determine if they will be caught up in the criminal justice system later in life. So all of this is so incredibly important to it because we don't want to have children that that are pretty much predetermined to be heading off to prison one day, prison or jail or to serve some kind of a or to commit some kind of crime later on. So it's incredibly important that we have this conversation because we need to be a well-informed populace to be able to understand the system, to be able to work to ensure that we ourselves are not becoming criminals but also that our loved ones don't become it as well so so the culture thing is very important to understand our society our culture to know what everyone else is thinking of why something is a crime um when when we may not necessarily agree with it and so so it, it it's a good spot to start off with this conversation and and i think that our culture has gotten to where we're so political so divided on so many issues that there are plenty of things that are criminal that necessarily shouldn't be. Um, and, and some of these things are are an invitation for the growth of government. Um, some of them are preventing from the people from being empowered. Um, and the one that, that really sparks, really pops to the top of my mind when I talk about this, of course, is that in many states and in many big cities, it is actually a misdemeanor to go out and feed the homeless. So when we see somebody hurting within our society, it's not, that, it's, it's not that we all lack empathy. It's not that we all don't want to do something for them. But in some circumstances, some cases, it actually is illegal. So should somebody go out there into one of these cities, such as in California, and start feeding the homeless... They can be fined and even serve, serve a time for doing this, which brings us to the next portion of this, right? The actual crime being committed. We, we have a long list of crimes in this country. Many of them people don't really know exist because they're, they're arbitrary at best. Um, but there are some that we we all kind of accept as yeah that that should be a crime, such as you know if you're gonna break somebody's property, that should be a crime if you're gonna hurt somebody that that definitely should be a crime um you know, more grotesque things, such as rape of an adult or even worse, a rape of a child um we all kind of understand that but but when it comes to having a child create a lemonade stand. This has been a controversy in many states. Texas has got this, uh, recently had a story on this. A child having a lemonade stand to make a couple quarters, make a couple bucks, serve a little lemonade, give some refreshment to their neighbors, that shouldn't be a crime. But without a permit, it is. So we have a lot of these things that, that we do need to um, have a good civilized discussion around. and And of course, those are kind of the easy ones that that are almost a no-brainer for all of us. That, that, no, that shouldn't be a crime. Um we'll get into some of the more in-depth uh discussions tonight about what is a crime and and or what is what is the right circumstance? What is the right situation? How can we as a culture make this better? Should it be a criminal thing or is it a social problem? And um and so I'm I'm excited to dive in these with you. So let's say that you, you know you were convicted of a crime. Let's say you were you continually were selling lemonade from a lemonade stand without a permit, and and so now you're being you're being convicted of a crime. This brings us into our next step. So you've committed the crime of selling lemonade on your street corner, providing refreshment on a hot summer day, and now we get into the second phase, which is of course the the actual uh, the the actual charging of a crime, right? So you get. Officers will come up and arrest you um, they'll bring you to a a holding cell they'll bring you to to they'll get you checked in and then you sit inside of a of a cell until a judge can can decide on your next step um, This is probably one of the more difficult things within the process because you've been accused of a crime not found guilty of a crime at this point but you've been accused of a crime even if you're caught red-handed you're being accused of a crime and this has created a lot of controversy for a lot of people um because you're sitting and you are your life is ticking away while you're sitting in there there are uh, circumstances such as in the um national defense authorization act section 1021 of it allows for the indefinite um incarceration of somebody without convicting of them without even alleging them a crime so this all kind of we can that's that's certainly the extreme but there's there's a lot of there's a lot of spectrum in between there and of course if you get picked up on a friday night the judge isn't coming in till monday to figure out what's going to happen with you so you have automatic two two and a half days sitting in 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 these cells awaiting to find out if you're going to be bondable if you, if, they can, if you get bail um, set at whatever currency, it brings it to the next question. Um, for somebody who's rich, who has a lot of wealth, who has been successful in their life, if bail gets, if bail gets set, it's much easier for them to get out um, as opposed to somebody who hasn't been so fluent with money. Somebody who may be lower on the economic scale, somebody who may be in poverty, um, and and having this, it's more than just a fee because it's it's actually set to a point where if they go to a bondsman, right, the concern of being able to pay that back um, should it fail or the concern of getting it approved uh, this is this is certainly a big issue for them so more often than not when people are in low economic statuses or when they have terrible credit scores and everything else they don't have collateral they don't get the opportunity that that other people get and so there's a, there's a large push there to actually look at how bail is working right cash bail is something that is just a slap on the wrist for the rich but it's a major life decision for those who aren't quite as um as rich now there are other countries that have done something around this system to make it different because they look at they look at the person who has committed the crime or is being accused of the crime to determine where bail is. Right? It's not just a matter of the crime, but it's also a matter of the wealth of that person. And so they would look at a a percentage. And so this way, it would be more proportional. So the, that way, it's a it's a bigger decision for the wealthy, and it's not nearly as difficult for somebody in poverty. And and I can already hear the arguments that you know if you're poor, you know you could just commit more crimes, and it's not going to by by reducing that percentage it allows for them to continue hitting crimes and and certainly that's not that's not the desired goal from this but it's it's to have that discussion of how do we how do we actually ensure that those people who are wealthy are given um the proper process in this and and so there there are many people out there talking about ending cash bail in which um you have to be either you're a flight risk you're the so the court determines that either a you're you're pretty much guilty of this crime that that it's just a matter of going through the process to prove it and um and they believe that if they let you out, you're going to flee the country and you're going to get out, which, of course, is more of a wealthier status to have um, in which they can deny the bail. Or if they don't think that you're a flight risk, you're just a, a, a Joe Schmo committed a small crime and, or that you're being accused of to allow for that person to be free. And then, you know, should they not make it to their um, to their trial, um, then, you know, there, there's a bench warrant out for them, pick them up bring them in and then we know to, to the system can then say, look, you know, under any circumstances, we don't, we don't allow for this to happen. So there, there, there can be a determination there and it doesn't have to be a a monetary value there at the end. Um, but let's say, you know, you get through that process, you go through and you're actually going through the due process now. So you, you went through the bail process and now your date has arrived and you're going to be going through to trial, um, so now is where the actual due process is, where you know you are by virtue of the Constitution and by any rational moral system, you'd be treated innocent until proven guilty, and so the preponderance of evidence has to be against you to find you guilty. Um, we see where there's still a large issue within this because. What we have is a criminal justice system that has created um, s- uh, such a, a volume of people entering into the system or reentering into the system, such as recidivism, uh, which is the term for that, um, that you have these prosecutors who are overworked and underpaid, and, and you have you know you have the defense attorneys right the the state appointed uh, attorneys defense attorneys where they're they're really overworked and underpaid i'm sorry the, the 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 um the prosecutors aren't necessarily underpaid they're they're paid a lot more than the defense attorneys but you have it where even though the constitution is being followed and you have legal representatives appointed or appointed for you if you cannot afford one on your own um it's not really it's not something that's working in the best interest of everybody because what we're seeing is something called plea bargaining, wherein that um, you have the prosecutor is going to give you an offer, right? So let's say you're being um, accused of a crime that could be 20 years in, in prison. And so through this plea bargaining, they would say, look, if you plead guilty, you just plead guilty. We can, we can get rid of this whole process. You'll admit guilt. We'll give you six years. There are when you look at the way that these defense attorneys are overworked and underpaid, they're encouraging their own clients, whether that client is innocent or guilty, to take these because it takes one more thing off of their plate. It allows for them to go and and try to put a couple fifteen, twenty more minutes into the other cases. Um, but it encourages people. And as a result of these plea bargainings, um it's even, even when people are known to be found innocent later on down the road, um, they will take these because I can serve six years and six years is only six years of my daughter's life or my son's life or you know, six years, I can, I can handle that a lot more than I can handle 20. So having this six years, which is a guaranteed six years maximum, is a lot easier. It's a lot more digestible than having a full 20 years and so many people many innocent people are taking this up they're they're accepting these plea bargains and and so it's a it's a system that incentivizes people to to claim guilt um and it 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 does get perverse It does get perverse because you have the prosecutors. They are looking to have that higher rate of success. It helps them out. They get they get uh, they get continue to be appointed and everything else Um, just as long as they make a sweet enough deal. It's not a matter of being innocent or guilty in that case, but it's a matter of just keeping your percentages up. It's a matter of keeping your metrics up. And you've seen prosecutors across the country who boast about this. One of them happens to be Kamala Harris herself, the vice president of the United States, right? This was a prosecutor who had exonerating evidence for somebody who was on death row and was upholding it and was keeping it close to her um, while this man sat on death row, exonerating evidence that would have shown that he was innocent. But she kept it until court ordered otherwise. So we know that this system isn't working in the way that it is. We know that, you know, even through the due process that prosecutors aren't providing all the information that they can, that there's not really a good system for that. And so what we need to do is we need to to try to find a way to make this system work better for us. Um, we need to get rid of those plea bargains and we need to, to work to, to have something that is going to allow for the innocent to actually be be innocent in this rather than encouraging them to lay guilt. Um, and and it's certainly one of those difficult, difficult sentence or uh, um, situations to really handle at a, at a top top tippy top level, such as the federal government. Um, but as soon as you take it, right, you take the plea bargain or you're found guilty. You go into your sentencing. Now, this is arguably the worst part of our entire criminal justice system is the sentencing. Because whether you're in for six years, 20 years or 40 years, the longer that somebody is in our punitive system, our punishment driven system, the more that they will adopt, adapt to that culture, which is why we try to tear out the criminal justice system. But it still doesn't work quite that same way. Um, You can have hardened criminals. I mean, people who are murderers in the same um, in the same prison system as somebody who's just done minor crimes. And and so as a result of that, there is a different culture inside those walls, inside those fences, inside those areas where prison guards are walking around with firearms and everything else. You have a culture within that which is mostly being led by the people inside. And so from this, right, we call it institutionalism. Um, When you become institutionalized by the prison system, right? You have a system where the the prison guards are putting you on a strict schedule. They tell you when to wake up. They tell you when to eat. They tell you when you can work out. They tell you, you know, your day is structured around what they desire for you. There's not a lot of focusing on why you're there. There's not a lot of focus on how to get you better. There's not a lot of focus on when you come back into society, which is well over 80, I I believe the number is over 85% of, of inmates right now will eventually come back into society. There's nothing there to help them grapple with coming back out. There's no way of getting them to adapt to what society is on the outside And so you have people that become accustomed to this and I'll say like talking with, with former incarcerated people. um, It's not a culture that necessarily is like very giving, very loving, very compassionate. What our communities strive to be of being able to help one another. Um, But in many ways it's a society in which you kind of stick to your own if you can find people to band with and protect each other like that's what you'll do but in large parts that's not that's not the end goal and and so this institutionalized of of a strict system such as if, if for if you've never been to To In the system, and and I'm glad that you haven't, but if you've ever been through boot camp of the military, right, it's that kind of a structuring, right? It's a break you down, get you used to our system, and run you through this, and so this way you know the steps of each day, and and you're going to have compliance and everything else. And so it works in that way of, of just resetting the mind, and then you have the culture within that as well and of course in the military they have they give you the culture because you're not there for very long right you're there for 2 to 3 months and and so they give you the culture you kind of make your clicks you kind of make your friends you kind of make some maybe make some friends that or meet some people that you don't really get along with but because of the short time of it you don't have the the same interactions the same culture as such as somebody who's who's going into a system where people have been there for 20 30 40 years and and so while we have a punitive system that focuses on on giving those punishments it's not a focus on fixing the problem it's not a focus on what they did wrong in order to ensure that when they get out That they're going to be a productive member of society, that they're going to actually care about the people next to them, that they're going to be able to get a job, that they're going to be able to provide for themselves. And of course, this brings us into our fifth uh, topic of this. And that is, of course, the reentry into society. Now, once you have a criminal record, once you actually have something on the criminal record, we know that you know most businesses aren't aren't going to be accepting of that. There are some businesses that have contracts that cannot, because of those contracts with the government, they cannot accept somebody who has been in prison. Um, so we'll see those those checkboxes um whenever you fill in your application. Have you ever been committed or found guilty of a crime, of, of, of a felony, or of a misdemeanor, or have you ever served time in prison? And you know you check the box and you you fill it out and and it d- never gets read um there are some some businesses out there that have realized the potential that have realized that there has to be a better way for this and so they've taken the time they've taken the care they they've gone into these systems um i can think of one uh company out in detroit that they were heavily in need of welders. And so what they did was they went to the local prison system and they said, hey, look, you guys are getting out in the next year, so let us do a quick vet on you, find out if we're going to be able to work with you. And for those candidates that they found that they could work with, they went in and they trained these people. They 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 took them away for a little bit um, and taught them how to weld. They taught them how to work with their hands and they they gave them a structuring. They got out and they provided them with a housing and, and a means of getting back and forth to work, and they gave them a job. And so from this, right, they were able to be productive. They were able to, to bring home money. They were able to, to buy themselves clothes and buy themselves foods, and they became productive in society. And sadly, that's not the case for everybody. So with the, the barriers that are in place for people as they re-enter into society, as they have to adapt to a new culture all around them, as they don't have the structure of wake up, go eat, go do this, go do that, go work out, go to bed, they have to be able to, to adapt to a new culture where they themselves are free again. And it's, it's a huge struggle, which is why we have such a high recidivism rate in this country. I can think of one individual that back when I used to live in, in, in Alaska, that he would go to jail every year. He would get out of jail and he would go back to jail. And his whole reasoning was, I don't want to hurt people. I don't want to take their stuff, but I have to do something in order to go back into the system that I'm accustomed to. And I, and at that point, it's not a punishment. It's it's not even living up to the punitive Goals or ideals of of just punishing people to keep them out, rather it, it's given them a life where they want to live there because they don't want to live in society because they don't they can't handle it in society and so from that right they have to do some kind of a crime in order to go back in and so they work in that that interest now of course this is this is a a, anecdotal situation so it's not a it's not a prominent one it's not an an average one but it does give you that perspective of just how vastly different it is when you're inside versus back out in the free world if you will and so I think that we as a society, when we look at all of these different categories, we can we can start having bigger conversations about how we can maybe ad- adopt a new system or or implement new ideas or new systems into the system in order to drop the recidivism rate, drop the rates in which people are committing crimes. Um, keep our police officers safe keep our community safe we can work to actually better our communities and our world around us and it doesn't mean that we need to take the money from this person or take the money from that person it means that we can actually structurally change this with other systems that we've we've seen from other countries to be able to adopt those practices and to make our community safer and better and and so with that in mind right if we were to change from a um, a punitive system to more focusing, such as like what I believe it was Sweden, where they have a rehabilitative season or system, where they're actually taking people in and when you're in prison they're saying look you know we've got you for seven years um during these seven years let's let's talk about what you did let's let's figure out why you did what you did if it was a means of just trying to be able to 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 provide food for your family right we can work with you and we can find a way to to get you educated to get you uh employed when you come out to be able to 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 take care of you and your own um you know, giving people the opportunities to be successful on the outside. That that should be our system of 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 our criminal justice system, right? Because while they're in in the system, if they're doing work, if they're if they're being employed while in it, and certainly when we look out across this country right now, because of the thirteenth amendment, you can be a slave, um if found guilty of a crime by the very words of the thirteenth amendment. Um That while they're working right, though, that money that they're accruing, that could be going towards, you know, towards the victims that they created through their actions. That could be helping provide for their families um, with any excess that comes through and everything else. And they could be working towards coming back out and being able to land on their feet and being able to hold their head up, head held up high and be able to to do something. Um, We can be looking at. Our, our our laws right as a as a culture, we have a great abundance of laws, and we can be we can be really questioning should this be a crime? Should it be a crime that a nine year old is out there with a lemonade stand? Of course not, right I already said this was an easy one. Should it be a crime to feed the homeless? are the homeless better off without food, or am I creating a victim? By providing them with food. Well that one maybe maybe I've got some people in here that that like the idea that you have to have a permit for a lot of things. But but for me, I know when I've been when I went without food for a while, when I went like a week and a half without really having a, a real meal, I would not have cared if the person giving me food had had a permit. Sorry to hear that, Shamrock. I don't. I don't know why it's doing that. Is it like that on all of them? Um. But it's it's. We can have these conversations around uh, the importance of it's saying it's saying it's on right on mine, um. Around the importance of actually looking at the laws that have been implemented and finding out if if even the current punishment for those crimes is correct if it if it's if it's suitable if it's proper if it's in accordance with the eighth amendment of excessive fines fees and and et cetera, is it is it excessive is it not enough we can have these conversations and i think it'd be incredibly important because i'm looking out and looking at some of the cases um before i came on the show tonight um i can think of brock turner oh no it didn't It didn't do it oh, I'm so sorry about that I'm sorry about I'm sorry for you guys on YouTube. um I'll have to go back and fix that, but when we look at Brock Turner, who was given a mere uh, he was sentenced for six months in prison and then three and a half years probation for sexually assaulting three women. he served three months waiting for his trial, and then that was time served now you're fine. That was sentenced as time served. So he served three months for sexual assault of three women. In my opinion. Three months is not enough to reform somebody. Certainly. Right. The three and a half years of probation. I could understand. I could understand the desire within that. Um The importance of being able to check in and everything else within that. Um But. it it wasn't a one-off thing with that one. And so, so I have a little bit of a challenge there of thinking three months might not necessarily be enough. But when you compare that to somebody who has a couple grams of marijuana and is serving 20, 30, 40 years, I definitely don't think that that's long enough, but I definitely also think that that person serving for marijuana, something which has been proven to be medical, or medicinal, some something that's been proven to be more safe than cigarettes, alcohol, and other things. I definitely think that theirs is a, grotesquely excessive. And so we can we can really look at some of these these conversations and, and certainly um coming up this Monday, I've got a show with Matt Wright himself. Um Matt Wright from the writers block Matt Wright from Muddy Waters of Freedom. Matt Wright who has given me the opportunity to come here to talk to you guys today about that um to to talk about this today um i've got matt Wright coming on we're gonna be diving into the war on drugs because at this point right when we look at the system and the way that it's functioning when we look at the war on drugs itself um it's clear to me who the victor has become and it's not the not the government it's not the the rule of law but rather the drugs themselves it's never been so easily accessible it's never been um it's never been so prevalent. It's never. I've never gone to a, a major party or to a major club in any area and not been able to find some form of drug. So, the question for me has always been: if this is a criminal activity, why is it becoming more and more prevalent? And when we when we look at it from the perspective of Portugal, who made it a social issue rather than a political issue? they actually have lower rate of drug use from changing that perspective from a criminal one to a social one where they've made it more um they actually made it more accessible for people to get drugs um to be able to have clean drugs to be able to you know and this is all drugs this isn't just marijuana this is heroin this is crack this is cocaine this is uh, meth this is all these things where they go in you can go into a clinic and you can actually shoot up or or get high off of whatever means and these are all drugs that are being checked out and being insured for safety um and and you can do that um it's not something that you know i encourage i i i stand against drugs themselves but i don't i stand against our practice and the way our criminal justice system has been handling it. Um, but, but like I said, I, I don't want to dive too deep into this. Um, we will, we will definitely be getting into that Monday night with Matt Wright. And, and I'm so excited for that conversation. So I hope you guys will be tuning in Monday night, 8 PM. Um, where I will be talking with Matt Wright on this. I am so excited for that show. And I don't want to, I don't want to steal my own thunder by, by continuing down that rabbit trail. Um, But we can also talk about some of the other laws, some of the other systems, some of the other tools that have been used by law enforcement um, in the pursuance of the drug war most recently. Um, But this is something that predates the war on drugs. And that is, of course, civil asset forfeiture. I had a long discussion on this. I had I, I believe it was like a 40, 50 minute show just on civil asset forfeiture here on Mighty Waters Media. So if you guys have not seen that, make sure you guys go back, tune into that. Of course, that is a legal tool in which law enforcement can take your property whether that's your home your money your car your boat whatever valuable you have and there's no due process because all they have to do to take this to forfeit that property is believe that it may have been affiliated with a crime believe that it may have been affiliated with a crime not prove that it was within a crime. Not prove that it was yours and that this was was from a crime or uh, benefit from a crime or anything else. Just believe, and and so we can talk about civil asset forfeiture where where that is allowed. Um, you know, so I would encourage you guys go back and, and check out that civil asset forfeitures. I think that was my second episode back here on Muddy Waters for this uh wonderful time. So I'm excited to be back and, and doing this, of course. Um Qualified Immunity. This was a legal precedent created by the um by the Supreme Court. And I'm I'm I've got my guest in mind for this one and I'm hope that he's gonna accept it. Um but we'll see if he does. But qualified immunity was a big conversation last year, and there are so many people that, that haven't that they were too political. They were too partisan to really sit down and and to, to understand it in my perspective, at least. And so qualified immunity is basically a protection for government employees, including police officers from civil court cases. um, If they've been determined to um, buy precedent of previous court cases to not be to uh to have these protections so i.e if if you have an officer who breaks somebody's car and just destroys somebody's car and there was a, a a a precedent of a case where an officer had done that before and they were protected with qualified immunity from, from civil case or from a civil court case, then in this new instance, the the owner of that vehicle, even if that owner was not a part of a crime, was not even be suspected of a crime, that car was not being truly suspected of a crime, but it was a, it was a mistake. They would be incapable of, of going and taking that officer to court, to civil court in order to look to be um to have their wrongs righted, right? To have their property replaced or to receive money to have that replaced. And and so what we've seen around this conversation um from people who are for lack of a better term just uh, absolute pro police is well, no, they need those protections because otherwise there'll be a bunch of f- uh, frivolous lawsuits against police officers and my biggest thing on that is we have a we have a we're supposed to have a judicial system that can take that because we have the first amendment we have to be able to re- redress our grievances in accordance with the first amendment and and through civil court cases one of those ways and so we should be able to take them to court and if it is determined to be a frivolous lawsuit then then we lose and and the other matter that comes up that i think is much more important when it comes around qualified immunity is where does that money come from right now? If you, if you manage to go around the qualified immunity and you get an officer into civil court for damages done and they're found guilty, usually it falls either on the state, the County or, um, or the city to pay for those damages done. Um, and I don't necessarily think that that's the right answer. And so I would like to see this also be addressed in, in rational humane conversation of it wasn't the city's fault for this for this crime to have committed right because that's the whether it's a police officer or not for somebody's property to be destroyed um, unwarranted it's a crime right we can all agree with that so it shouldn't be that the city itself or the state or the the county is paying for it but it should be rather coming from the police office It should be coming from that police department or from that police officer independently. There are many libertarians out there who believe that it should come from the pension. So if you pull it from their pension, then, um, and, and I'm not, I'm not sure if that's, that's the right answer. Um, but if you pull it from them, then now it's like you're affecting all of the police officers. And, and what I like about this idea, what I really genuinely like about this idea is that it, it brings about some accountability to it because now if you have a police force with one bad actor and we all, I think everyone out there can agree that there are some bad police officers. Um, If you have one bad police officer in a department and he is getting sued and sued and sued and he keeps losing these cases right now it's affecting all of those police officers now there's a reason for them to hold each other accountable as the system goes right now there is a lack of accountability because you have people such as Derek Chauvin who had I believe it was seven different cases seven different claims of of police brutality of overusing his force of escalating force beyond uh, a reasonable measure and and so if you can have these if you can hold the police departments accountable then the police departments will hold their agents accountable And this is is something that's incredibly important for any system that's out there, right? When we talk about free market principles, when we talk about the market itself of holding companies accountable, we should also be able to hold out government agencies and the government itself accountable. And this would be a good lever to be able to do so rather than punishing the city or the, the, the county or the state citizens who are paying in tax dollars to see those tax dollars go away um, because of the bad actions of one of the agencies, if that makes sense. So so this is a conversation that I would love to have. I'm excited for the guest, if I can get him on. Um, I haven't even posted to him, so it's all on me for that. But should I get him on? I mean, I, I know that it's going to be it's going to be as good, if not better, than the show that I have coming up on Monday night with Matt Wright. So I'm excited for that. Um another big conversation that people are having right now, or more recently, um in the last two years or so, that um yes, I agree with you, Jessica. Um, is looking at no knock rates, right? When we had um President Trump in office, right? Um after what was that? Stone um I forgot the school. Down there in Florida, it was Stone Something uh, High School. After the shooting there, um, we had a large push for no-knock raids across the country. There was an attempt by... People such as Senator uh, Lindsey Graham and other senators across the country that were racing to be able to um, implement a no knock rate mandate or f- tying some funding for if you implement a no knock rate at the at, at the state level, then you would be supplied with or you 'd be provided with funds from the federal government. Um, But no-knock raids is one of those things that is incredibly controversial because it's not just putting people at risk, it's putting officers at risk, it's putting everybody at risk. Um, And in many cases, right, because in a no-knock raid, the importance of this, the importance of a no-knock raid process is that you, if you are the target of a no-knock raid, you don't get to be aware that it's happening, so if you get into an argument with a family member, with a neighbor, and they know that you have a firearm, they may report you for a no-knock raid, and just saying they can say you're looking suspicious. They know you have a firearm. They they you know that you have a temp, temperament issue, et cetera, et cetera. And if they can get a judge to believe that you could be a danger to society with a firearm, then officers in potentially the middle of the night, in the middle of the day, first thing in the morning, such as with Gary Willis, um, will come in without knocking on the door, break down the door, and come in to retrieve firearms. Now, we've seen with Gary Willis that they did knock on the door. Gary Willis showed up with his firearm. Gary Willis of Maryland and, and refused to give up his firearm because of a fight that he had with his stepsister, sister-in-law, sister, cousin. Um, and, and as a result of that, because he refused to give up his firearm, he was actually shot and killed. So there, there's a, there's a tragedy there wherein he never had due process given to him. He was having something taken from him or attempted to be taken from him without due process. And, and, and he stood his ground for it. Now, of course, that is a situation in which the civilian side has lost somebody. But in the circumstance of we all know some some people who like their firearms, and certainly I am a man who loves my firearms and threaten their livelihood in an attempt to take away their ability to defend themselves, their life, their liberty, and their pursuit of happiness that they're not going to go down without a fight. And so in those circumstances, you're putting police at risk. So regardless of which side of the aisle you're on, you can see how this is a potential for more bloodshed. And oftentimes this would be as a result of petty arguments. This is a way that you can get back at somebody. We all know somebody out there who's vindictive who is uh, resentful, who is spiteful, who is hateful. And why wouldn't they try to use the system in any means possible in order to get back at you? So we all know that there, there's opportunities out there for this to be misused. Not only the unconstitutionality of it, not only the, the, the opportunities for all this death and destruction, but it's just bad policy. Um and and so there are plenty of states that still have no knock raids um in their states. I believe here in South Carolina there's a Supreme Court decision ending that, which I'm so grateful for. Um but it's something that is is very prevalent across the way. Marjorie Stone Douglas. Yes, Stone Douglas High School. Thank you. Um so that's it's it's something that we have to grapple with and something we have to discuss and and, and to handle. Um this last topic that I have for the night before I must bid you guys all adieu. And of course, if you guys have any questions, feel free to drop your questions down below. Um, love to answer them um, either as they come in or at the end. Um, but the last topic that I want to discuss tonight is the death penalty. As we briefly go through all of this stuff, of course, we can, we can, of course, do an entire show on any of these topics and really dive deep into them. Um, but the death penalty is one that we've seen a lot of atrocities with it's there are plenty of people that have been killed by the death penalty wrongfully later to be found out that they were innocent. I mean, we already spoke about Kamala Harris and her holding exonerating evidence against somebody on death row. Um, so that it, it, it's a struggle there because we as a society, i At least for me personally, I would rather see I would rather see a hundred men set in prison for the rest of their lives than to see one innocent person be executed right i I think that that's more important and and as we found through history that there have been plenty of people that have been put to death. To later be found to be innocent, to not even be in the area, sometimes not even in the same state as when the crime had been committed, but yet they were put to death. And I think that that's one of the biggest, most heart-wrenching things to hear. Um, From a financial side of things, of course, when we look at the death penalty, it's actually cheaper to keep somebody incarcerated for their entire life than it is to put them to death. I mean, you're talking about tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars to put someone to death, but because of the system that we have in place, because of the Thirteenth Amendment, but because we lease out prisoners to go work um, work the fields um, because of immigration, um, where usually right, when you look at agriculture and you look at it, that people picking in the fields, picking fruits and vegetables and et cetera, et cetera. Um, Typically, they try to find undocumented immigrants because they can charge them for cheaper. They can sell their 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 fruits and vegetables for cheaper on the market. And so they become more competitive, Um, you know, under the table stuff. Now they're because of the flow, because of the the visceral um, discussions there in in D.C. and everything else. um, Now they're having to look at going to the legal practice of leasing out prisoners to go work in these systems um to go work the fields to make them their products and they're paying them well under minimum wage as well so if you have somebody who would be on death penalty or death row you could be actually instead of sentencing them to death early on in life you can actually be putting them through and you can actually be creating labor or putting them to work so that they can make money from that and take that money and send it to the victims that they created the family of the victims that they've created you can have it where they're restoring some of the society around them and and it's a means in which they are you're saving the taxpayer money by keeping them alive and rather than going through the process of of Killing them through the, through the system wherein that we've had innocent people killed in the past, but it also is a means in which they can be forced in some regards to try to help make the victims whole. Yep. Sending prisoners to fight wildfires. So, I mean, you know, there, there is an opportunity there for the most grotesque people, right? For people who are habitual, um, child rapists, right? Molesters, um, for somebody who's a habitual rapist, for somebody who is a, a serial killer, for somebody who is doing such grotesque things that you, there is a means in which we can be putting them to society's benefit rather than just killing them. And, and so, you know, the worst of the worst, right? We can be looking at that and we can say, yeah, you know, I, I definitely don't want somebody who's out there, um, just creating the worst kind of victims um i don't want them on our streets and and certainly they don't have a, a belonging in our society and there's there's no chance of reform there's no chance of bringing them back into society and and having and, and trusting them um but you can still create value with that and 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 i understand like how the struggle of course is the idea that slavery is always going to be bad right you should never be forced to work for someone um because slavery is bad right but in this instance right to in order to collect in order to make victims whole right you can i mean you got to do something. We got to do something because right now our society is not making people whole from our criminal justice system. And you know, if it's on a voluntary basis, yeah, it'll work and then take that money and send it away. And now, now they're stuck in it. Um, uh, comment from YouTube, check out sister Helen Prejean. She is one of the best voices for death row and innocent people. Absolutely. Um, I, I know that, uh, Hannah, Hannah Cox and, and Spike Cohen recently had a discussion around this as well. It's an incredibly important topic. Um, This is, this is, this is a difficult one. Um, It's a difficult one to navigate through and to get all of your points out and be succinct and, and to be well understood and well heard. Um, And I know that they're, they've all doing it so much better than I am. Absolutely appreciate that. Shamrocker. Um, It's a system of where people of color are sent to prison more. Yes, there is a disproportionate number of people um, in the prison system that are of color. And, um, and that's, that is one of the focal points of our criminal justice system is, is kind of a focus on, on environments of low economic scale, because when people don't have a means through, I didn't really want to touch on this topic too much, but when people are, have seemingly higher barriers in front of them because of where they began. Um, when they have higher barriers in front of them of being successful through a legal means, they do it through an illegal means. So you have um, in lower economic areas, you're going to have a higher quote unquote crime rate from that where people aren't paying their fines and fees in order to start up entrepreneurial businesses to go into business for themselves or because they've taken a means of, of drug dealing or they've taken a means of of just committing crimes in order to make ends meet that there is a, a more focal point for police presence. And so then you have a, a, the outcome of course is a disproportionate, um, number of people in the prison system that would come from them. And, and by our, by virtue of our, our society and the way that it's been ran, um, it is, and inf- it it's, it's against people of color. Um, and, and I'm certain that we'll, we'll dive more into that as well. But that brings up another point of this is that, you know, when you look across the prison system, a heavy majority of them are low, low income or middle-class people of where they came from and where they are. Um, because it's sad to say, but, but people in affluent areas, um, aren't getting the same police presence because it's just like, meh, it's okay. Um, I know that I've seen, I've seen jokes or I've seen memes and I've seen TikToks on it. It's like, what is uh, trashy if you're poor, but, um, cool if you're rich and it's just like people joke about it and they're like, oh, cocaine, you know, if you just do a couple lines of cocaine, cause you're a rich business guy, like it's cool. You know, you're just partying and having a good time. If you're doing it cause you're poor, you know, you're just slummy and trashy and, and disgusting, but it's like, it's the same thing. And and so certainly there is a different perspective there from from law, empor- law enforcement's perspective as well as their cultures, right? Oh, you can't afford that. You should you should take that cocaine money and you should be bettering yourself and and buying better shoes so that you can work a harder job and climb that ladder and yada yada yada. And it's just like man, I just I, I wish that we would see the own co- our own cognitive dissonance on this topic, but. But with that, guys, uh, we're coming up on time and I I don't want to get too deep into the night because we do have From Bayou's to Igloos coming up in about 34 minutes um, if they're on time, Muddy Waters time. Um, So in about 34 minutes, make sure you guys are back here to watch From Bayou's to Igloos with Nolik and Cajun Libertarian. Uh, It's going to be a great show tonight as always. And then please do make sure that you guys are tuning in next week. Next Monday, I've got Matt Wright coming on the show. Uh, We're going to be diving deep into the war on drugs. We're going to be talking about the disproportionate rates. We're going to be talking about uh, medical marijuana, recreational marijuana, decriminalizing drugs. We're going to be talking about um, how the system has been used in order to put us further and further down uh, into the hole rather than helping our entire society lift up. So I'm ex- incredibly excited for that conversation. And Of course, Tuesday night, we've got Matt and, Matt and Spike running together for the, to traverse the muddy waters of freedom. Wednesday night with Spike Cohen on My Fellow Americans. And then on Thursday, we got the writer's block. And again, Friday night, I will not be here because I'm doing a special slot for tonight. Thank you to Nolik and Cajun. But next Friday night, we'll be back with from Bayou's to Igloos. I'm so incredibly excited for this. And then also make sure you guys keep November 13th ready. It's going to be a Saturday night. Put that on your calendars right now because we're going to be doing a special show November 13th from the South Carolina Libertarian Party Convention. So excited for that. So I hope you guys all have a great night. Thank you guys so much for spending your time with me, hanging out tonight. Um, Hopefully I gave you guys some perspectives that you guys may have not heard before. Um, Hopefully I gave you some value tonight. Maybe I gave you a talking point here or there. I appreciate and love each and every one of y'all for being here and uh, looking forward to the future with y'all. So take care. You guys have a great night. Love y'all. See you guys soon.